This program is made possible by members and donors to the show, and supporting the work we do, two bucks a month gets you an ad-free version of every episode, while full membership gets you that, plus members-only bonus content with extra clips and commentary. Sign up at patreon.com slash bestofleft, or visit the Contribute tab at bestofleft.com. Now, welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast, in which we shall learn about the arguments for and against impeaching Donald Trump in the House of Representatives, and sending an indictment over to the Senate, where the trial would be held. Clips today come from On the Media, Deconstructed, The Majority Report, Stay Tuned, The Brian Lehrer Show, Ring of Fire Radio, and Democracy Now! For those who have been closely following the slow drip of evidence accumulating for more than two years and vindicated in their horror of Trump by the Mueller report, let's see what happens is not exactly a rallying cry. As those doing the political math come up with different answers, many citizens are sensing yet another episode of thwarted justice, and not for the first time in recent years. Paul Waldman is a columnist and senior writer for the American Prospect. He cites the Clinton impeachment as a kind of cautionary tale for the Democratic leadership. Yeah, I think that there are some people in the Democratic Party who may have learned the lessons of the Clinton impeachment a little too well. The story that we tell about that is that the Republicans impeach Clinton and the American people punish the Republican Party for doing this kind of partisan process that wasn't good for the country. The problem is that there are a lot of differences between that situation and this one. So, for instance, Clinton was extremely popular. He had approval ratings in some cases over 70 percent. Trump is extremely unpopular. His approval rating is around 40 percent. Also, the conduct in question there was really rooted in a affair that Clinton had with Monica Lewinsky, and he lied about it in a deposition. But after a year of constant discussion, the conclusion that the American people essentially came to was that he was kind of scummy, but it didn't merit removing him from office. We don't know if the American public debated it for a year, what conclusion they would come to about Trump. But the allegations, at least, relate much more closely to his conduct in office. So however a Trump impeachment might end up, it's unlikely it would work out exactly like the Clinton impeachment did. Should these decisions necessarily be based on political pragmatism to begin with versus, say, just pure accountability? If Donald Trump deserves to be impeached, then Donald Trump should be impeached. Now, of course, we can't ignore the political considerations, but there's a strong case to be made that the process itself is a way of making a statement of saying that it's not acceptable for a presidential candidate to accept the aid of a hostile foreign power. It's not acceptable for him to attempt to obstruct justice, even if in many cases his aides prevented him from carrying out the obstructive act throughout the Trump administration, there's been such a deluge of misdeeds and norms being broken and rules being ignored that sometimes we just decide that this thing is not worth fighting about because there are so many other things that are going wrong. But ultimately, at some point, you have to stand up and make a defense of the system itself. The GOP has been working for a long time to cultivate a certain narrative about a rigged system and political bias, a deep state, and impeachment by the Democrats will be just the smoking gun they're looking for to prove, yep, he's just being set up for purely partisan reasons. A lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about what will make Trump voters angry, looking at what they see on Fox News or here on Rush Limbaugh and other conservative talk radio makes them very, very gun shy because they say, if we awaken this beast, we'll get another version of 2016. The Democrats are being driven mad. They're operating from a contrived conspiracy born and supported by fake news. And they can't give it up for whatever reasons. The problem is that they have a remarkable ability within that conservative media system to create controversy out of anything. The biggest issue in the 2016 election was whether Hillary Clinton used the wrong email. The idea that you could avoid the wrath of 
the Trump supporters by not going down the road of impeachment, but say investigating him in other ways. I just don't think that bears out. Hearings in the House would force the GOP to line up behind Trump in the face of what will be just a litany of damning evidence. Doesn't that argue for going ahead with proceedings? Yeah, I think it would. Events in politics can have a power that things like a 500-page document doesn't necessarily have. You know, if you tuned into Fox during the time after the Mueller report was issued, you would have learned that it was a complete and total exoneration. But if you have an actual event that there are cameras stuck in front of, it's much harder to get people not to see what's actually happening there. Key moments in the Watergate hearings helped turn the public against Richard Nixon. It was Howard Baker saying, What did the president know? And when did he know it? It was John Dean. We have a cancer close to the presidency that's growing daily. It's compounding. It grows geometrically now. Democrats might reasonably think that if we actually hold impeachment hearings, there will be similar moments that will be impossible for Trump to spin away. A lot of people listening to this podcast will agree with you and will agree with the moral case for impeachment. Uh, They'd agree that Trump deserves to be impeached in the House and convicted in the Senate. But they might be sceptical that it'll work. There's a lot of practical political objections to it. And I want to put three very common democratic liberal arguments against impeachment to you and have you respond to them. Number one. What, Tom Steyer, is your response to the very political argument that impeaching Trump in the House is a waste of time, given that you're not going to get a conviction in the Senate? The Democrats don't have the two-thirds majority, the Constitution demands that they have, and they aren't going to get it anytime soon. So this is all just theater, what you're doing. What's your response to that? Well, first of all, the way that this will work, if it proceeds the way that I'm requesting, and I believe the American people want is a series of hearings where the American people can judge for ourselves. But the American people and won't be voting in the Senate, sadly. No, they won't. But they will be voting for those senators. So the actual thing... So you actually believe you can turn around the Senate? You actually think Republican the, senators will vote? To that is what president. happened in 1974. Different time, Tom. Different the, time. The, the Republican the Party right now is far more polarized, okay. far more spineless. Then let <laughs> If the American people change their mind that... Uh, significant majority of Americans believe this president should be removed from office. This will be incredibly upfront and important politically. And they will be sending a message to every one of those senators, Mehdi, and that message will be, get rid of him or we'll get rid of you. And that is a message which I believe every elected official will have to take very seriously. So just to be clear, you don't rule out the prospect of Republican senators before 2020 voting for impeachment. Absolutely not. But I, but beyond that, I think that we have an obligation to make the case in front of the American people to prove that, in fact, we do believe in our own values okay. and to force those senators to confront their constituents and their conscience. Yeah. When we have a look, in my opinion, this argument's over. This president obstructed justice and he's okay. corrupt. And that's what I'm trying to and engage in here. Let's assume, he, let's, assume, let's assume there's a case for it. I just want to do with the practical. The argument's so over. The fight is on. Got it. So number one, you're saying you don't think that there's an, um, there's an inherent block in the Senate. It can be turned around. Okay. Number two, what is your response to the very political argument from some liberals, some on the left, that if you were to impeach and get rid of Trump, you get Mike Pence? Who wants President Pence this side of 2020? This isn't about a partisan fight, even though that's how it's being cast and how people are talking about it. This is actually about a question of patriotism and standing up for basic American values. I've been saying all along, if we get rid of Mr. Trump, we will get a conservative Republican from Indiana with whom I agree on virtually nothing, but there's something else going on here. We have a rogue president who is deeply corrupt and unstable and who is a danger to the system itself. Yep. And if we, in fact, do not impeach him and remove him from office, we're making a statement that it's okay. Yes. We have now normalized corruption. Completely. We have said we don't believe in the rule of law being applied equally to the rich and powerful. 
and we've basically changed the whole nature of America. Yeah, and that well, is just wrong. You might as well get rid of impeachment from the Constitution if you don't use it on this guy. Uh, number three, the third practical objection is this. What is your response to the argument that impeaching Trump inflames his base, gets them all worked up, more likely to turn out for him in 2020, that impeachment will hurt uh, the Democrats' presidential chances next year while helping Trump's re-election effort? I would say to any of your progressive um, listeners who make that point, guys and gals, the Republicans are turning out in 2020 come hell or high water. They're already incredibly intense. Yeah. 11 million more Republicans voted in 2018 than in 2014. The Republicans are going to turn out. The question is, are the Democrats going to turn out? Are people actually going to come out because they believe this system works, that their representatives tell the truth and stand up for the values that they believe in? So I, I think for anyone who's worried about inflaming Republicans, they should get over themselves. The Republicans are inflamed. Well put. And Nancy, so th no, I, that's I, just I agree craziness. I agree with you. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has talked about impeachment not being worth it, is the phrase she used, not being worth the division, polarization uh, in this country that undoubtedly would be exacerbated by an impeachment effort, especially a failed one. You don't deny that, do you? You don't deny how messy this is going to be. I do. I see this completely differently. Okay. In my opinion, the only way this can happen is through Americans coming together across party lines, across geographic lines, across the divisions that actually this president has worked so hard what to create. What evidence is there that Republicans are going to drop Trump based on some televised hearings? They've I never have... dropped, they didn't drop him when he was praising neo-Nazis. In my experience, and it goes back to Watergate. It was a different time. It was there a was different no Fox time. News. There was but no you, Breitbart. There was I, no social media that. to and allow you to live in a bubble and not see what's happening on TV. But that's the point about televised hearings. Yeah, but they're not. Televised hearings are not curated by Fox News or Breitbart kind of, or the yes. Wall Street Journal. You get a chance to actually watch it live and respond as an American citizen. And actually, that's exactly what we're talking about. The American mm, people as together. As you. No, it, that, that's why the Mueller report could never succeed in the way that I'm talking about because it would all, no one would read it. They would always hear it described. And regardless of what was in the Mueller report, you knew what Fox News was going to say. He's been exonerated. There's yeah. nothing new in here. We should move on. So in fact, the only way to have this is a direct participation okay. through televised hearings. So Americans make up our own mind. And obviously, the Justin Amash intervention, the Republican congressman last weekend, comes out, does this massive multi-part Twitter thread making the case for impeachment, making these Democrats look rather foolish, because why is it a conservative Tea Party Republican? Why is he making the case for impeachment and saying Trump has met the threshold for impeachment? Why aren't they? I mean, you, do you think that 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 Amash is uh, coming out has been underplayed by the media on some level? I mean, I just feel like if this was uh, if the shoe was on the other foot, I feel like uh, if, uh, if uh, he, this guy would be on every single television yep. show, wall to wall, and on the front yep. page of the Times. And I think the Times put it on like page nineteen. Yes, yes, yes. I saw somebody tweeted that it was in the. I don't read the paper. I'm an online person, but yeah, I believe it was A19 or something in the paper, which is absurd. And you're right. I think you know those of us with longer memories will remember. Do you remember Joe Lieberman during the Clinton impeachment when he came out saying you know that Clinton's done impeachable? It was a huge story that a, a Democratic senator was turning on his party and turning on his president, especially when your Republican Party so loyal uh, to Trump. To have a break in the wall, to have a crack. Uh, in the in the in the Trump wall, Republican wall is a big deal. And to be fair to the media, though, I believe Amash doesn't like doing much interviews. I know Chris Hayes and others were trying to get him on and he hasn't. So it's not all the fault of the media in terms of why you haven't seen him on TV. I don't think he likes doing that much. Um, that's why he's been taking to Twitter. Maybe that's his Trumpian direct way of getting his point across. He's done another amazing Twitter thread yesterday, which I urge your listeners to go look at on obstruction of justice. And I just wonder, why hasn't Nancy Pelosi, why hasn't Steny Hoyer, why haven't Democratic leaders done that kind of Twitter thread outlining the evidence in the Mueller report against Trump on obstruction of justice? But yeah, it should be a bigger story. Of course, it should be a bigger story. Every Republican member of the House should be asked, what is it about Justin Amash's Twitter thread that you disagree with? Right.
Right. It seems to me there's now a, a very good argument that there is a political cost to not impeaching to the Democrats exactly. that that oh, yeah, wasn't there for Republicans uh, when they impeached Clinton. Exactly. Had the Republicans not impeached Clinton, there was no kind of fallout for them. It wasn't Clinton wasn't going to use that. He wasn't going to run in the you know, he wasn't even running in the next election. But right. Al Gore wasn't going to run and say, ha ha. You know, blowjobs, not impeachable. Right, exactly. um, they, they, they screwed it up. I think what we know for a fact is that Donald Trump is already, forget next year, he already has Bill Barr now going out investigating the investigators, calling everything spying, saying the crimes were committed on the other side. A taxpayer-funded White House Twitter account tweeted out yesterday. Um, we know that he will go into next year's election saying it was a waste of time. It was all uh, 18 killers, I think he referred to Mueller's team yesterday. He will say... I'm cleared. I'm innocent. There was no obstruction, no collusion, nothing. And the Democrats didn't impeach me, which proves I was right. And I think that, you know, people say the cost of impeachment. I've never, I've never denied that there could be a cost to impeachment, but there's also a cost to not impeaching. Inaction also has a cost. And we're seeing in front of our eyes, just on the whole challenging Democrats to impeach. I just don't buy this argument. Pelosi has said this in private to her caucus. I've heard journalists say it. I just don't buy it that he's goading the Democrats to impeach him. It's this idea of Trump as this great, you know, 4D chess player. I just don't buy it. Everything, Sam, we know about Donald Trump, his personality, his ego, his mindset, his narcissism, his obsession with himself in history. The idea that he would want to be only the third president in history to be impeached makes no sense whatsoever. This is a guy who did a press conference yesterday and called up one member of staff after another to testify that he didn't lose his temper in private. Right. That's how thin skinned and self obsessed he is. The idea that he's OK with being impeached is absurd. I just see no evidence for that claim. It's asserted time and again, I don't buy it. As for the costs of impeaching, um, Ezra made this argument. He made it well. Others have made it not so well. I saw Gloria Borger of CNN uh, write a piece saying why Democrats shouldn't impeach. And they point back to Clinton and they say Clinton's popularity went up. They say Newt Gingrich lost his job. They say the midterms, you know, the Democrats did well in the 98 midterms in the midst of that impeachment. What they don't say is that what happened in 2000, Sam? What happened in the next presidential election? I don't remember the Democrats winning that election. Right. And Joe Lieberman was picked the vice president because he... he, Exactly. uh, And Al Gore distanced himself from Bill Clinton, which was a mistake. We know in hindsight, Bill Clinton on the campaign trail, whatever you think of Bill Clinton, is a brilliant campaigner. And he was popular, ironically. And Al Gore distance himself. So the idea that this won't cost the Republicans, even if it's a failed impeachment attempt, we come on to the whole idea of it being a failed attempt. But even if they fail to get him out, the point is the idea that this won't harm the Republicans. Again, I just don't see evidence for that. In actual fact, the Clinton analogy is not the best analogy because Clinton was popular. His popularity went up and we all knew it was a bullshit impeachment. Here, on the other hand, we know there's very good grounds for impeachment. We know 900 federal prosecutors who worked under Democrats and Republicans have said there's a very good case for impeachment. We know that Trump's popularity is nowhere near Bill Clinton's popularity. He's the most unpopular president in living memory and he will only get more unpopular during an impeachment hearing. This next question comes in a tweet from at Poker Bishop, also known as Katrina Muller, without the E. Hashtag Aspreet. Do you think Congress has the duty to impeach or just the power to impeach? Is the distinction important to this question? So that that's a very thoughtful and difficult question, Katrina. And I probably need to think about it more deeply. The duty to do something versus the power to do something. Now, the way I thought about my authority when I was a U.S. attorney and a prosecutor, was clearly we have the power to bring charges. We have the power to indict particular people if we thought it was in the interests of justice to do so. And I suppose overall, we thought there was a duty to do justice and a duty to protect the public and a duty to hold people accountable. Um, I don't know that I ever thought about it as I have a duty in a particular case versus just the power in a particular case, to bring a charge. But I suppose, depending on the circumstances, there sort of was. Duty is, is, a, is a deeply complex, moral, philosophical, I think, question. And power less so. Uh, having the power to do something is simply a matter of you having the authority vested in you by statute or some other regulation or a delegation of authority from some higher power. But your question reminds me 
about another thing I've been thinking about with respect to this, and I, and I tweeted about it this past weekend. I spent all day Saturday thinking about some of these issues and, and what I would talk about with Ann Milgram on the Insider podcast and what I might write in that newsletter. And so I tweeted the following. I said, so you're a House Dem. You're not sure impeachment is electorally smart, but you are sure impeachment is constitutionally warranted based on the facts. What is the right thing to do? Isn't duty, your word, greater than political speculation, especially since everyone has basically sucked at the latter? Apologize to my parents for the use of the verb sucked. Um, and as I think about your question further, it probably is the case if you have the view that there is overwhelming evidence someone committed some transgression and you also have the power to hold that person accountable, then I think, yeah, in a manner of speaking, you do have a duty. The reason I sent that tweet is I'm recognizing on the part of Democrats, their hesitation on the part of Nancy Pelosi and others. And as I'm taping this on Wednesday morning, uh, there was apparently a meeting of the caucus of Democrats with Nancy Pelosi, with various people discussing how to proceed on this issue, this very issue of whether you call them impeachment proceedings or not is unclear. But, but what are you supposed to do? And so I understand that as a political prediction matter, if you think the most important thing for America, and I actually think this is correct, if you think the most important thing for America and the world in the next couple of years is for Donald Trump to be defeated in 2020, and then you also think, based on your, your reading of you know, semi-ancient history from 20 years ago, that proceeding with impeachment will undermine the ability to defeat Donald Trump in 2020, then I get why you might have some hesitation. Because if in good faith you're still working towards this important election, you don't want anything to get in the way of that. And so I get that. The problem is, as I said in a subsequent tweet on Saturday, that I was making a point about some dubious calculations I see being made by members, members of Congress. Knee-jerk timidity based on 1998 jitters is not leadership. So on the one hand, if you have this concern about the election and the effect that impeachment proceedings will have on that election, but on the other hand, you have certitude, moral, ethical, and factual certitude that the president committed acts that justify impeachment, how do you choose? And to me, having thought about it for a while and just having lived life for a while, the first thing is speculative. And people have been very bad at speculating what's going to happen in the future. And so in a world in which the one decision is merely speculative and the other you feel in your heart and in your mind is certain, you go with the certain, you go with the definite. And you hope that actually changes hearts and minds. And if people understand that you're doing things in good faith and you're proceeding in a way that is about the truth and about accountability and about values as opposed to scoring political points, if you can do those things in that way and people can see you're doing things in that way, then I think you need to proceed. And I'm not saying that tomorrow articles of impeachment need to be filed, but what I am saying is if you are a member of Congress and you feel deeply that impeachable offenses have been committed, then I think you can't shy away from moving towards that, whether it's by having hearings along the way to get more evidence and to put more of the picture of what happened before the American people, before you get to a point where you pursue formally that thing called impeachment, but you need to proceed. On the other hand, if you don't think that impeachable offenses have been committed, um, then it's an easy decision for you and you don't proceed. I will note, as we have before, that there is at least one Republican congressman who's very controversial and has his issues as well and may be seeking to unseat Donald Trump in potentially a primary challenge or an independent challenge as a libertarian, Justin Amash. But I think that every congressperson needs to decide for themselves what they think happened here and not to unduly shy away from something because of some speculation about how it will be perceived in a future election. If you would love a way to financially support this show without it costing you anything, there's good news. You can support the show by bookmarking and using my affiliate link every time you shop with that company online. Y you know, basically the one company online. Lots of evil tendencies. Owned by the richest dude in the world. That one. Chances are you shop there at least now and then, maybe even a lot. Perhaps you make a lot of business-related purchases, I know some of you do. Or maybe you have a standard selection of home goods you get delivered regularly. In any case, you might have some mixed feelings about it, and you'd be right to, but 
If you do end up using the site, at least you can help siphon off some of that corporate blood money to help support the production of this show. Your shopping experience will be identical to usual, and it won't cost you a dime more. You can get the affiliate link from the show notes on the device you're using to listen right now, or you can find it on the sidebar of the homepage at bestofleft.com. You can bookmark the link so you can set it and forget it while continuing to support us into the future. It helps more than you think, I promise it does, and the more who join in, the more it helps. So thanks for taking the time. You have a number of freshmen uh, members of the House, including a few who now support moving forward with impeachment, who were elected not on a platform of I will impeach the president, but on a platform of I understand the issues in your life as voters, the economic struggles you have, the healthcare struggles you have, and I'm going to go to Washington to fight for that. If the next year and a half becomes about, uh, you know, impeaching the president, uh, even if it doesn't lead to removing him from office and a partisan fight, then Republicans will have an argument to go back to those same voters and say, look, you know, that your congressman or congresswoman said they right. would go to Washington and right. fight for you and all they did was fight this partisan right. fight. That's a big deal from a democratic political standpoint. All those seats that they captured from Republicans, 40 seats or whatever it was, uh, it means there are swing voters or at least swing districts based on turnout in, in this country, um, by the dozens. And I heard one analysis that said the members of the House Democrats who are the most vocal for impeachment tend to be ones from safe districts, whereas it's the That's ones right. from the swing districts who have their doubts exactly for the reason that you were just articulating. That's something that the Democrats have to keep their eye on. It doesn't mean it would work out that way. It doesn't mean the Democrats would lose those seats necessarily, um, but that's what they have to figure out how much of a risk they think it is. Yeah, there's sort of three groups you can think of when you think of how Democrats in the House are dealing with the impeachment question. One is those who sit on the Judiciary Committee who are closest to the frustrations over getting documents and testimony. And they tend to be right now more interested in opening impeachment because they want these documents, uh, sort of the investigator class. Then there are the progressives um, who come from safe districts, districts filled with voters like some of your callers who are just furious at the state of affairs and, and want to see their – representatives standing up to the president, doing everything they can to fight what they believe is criminality. And then there is that third group. And I think the third group is the one that uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is is most attuned to. She, you know, her, One of her top agendas here is not to lose the speakership after the next uh, uh, election. And we have seen, uh, you know, one or two or three of these uh, newly elected uh, uh, swing s- district members start coming around to impeachment in recent days. But mm-hmm. I think you don't yet have the flood and you certainly don't have, at least as of this morning, maybe the caucus meeting today changes that, breaks in the Democratic leadership in the House to suggest, um, you know, that there's going to be a, 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 a an immediate switch here. Now, what the second caller said there was uh, important and interesting. I think there is an option here, a sort of third way for Democrats to go, which is to say, you know, we are not ready now to say uh, – the president has done something impeachable, but we have decided that the only way we can find that out is to open impeachment proceedings. Mm-hmm. And we will decide later on a vote. There was a proposal a few weeks ago to open an inquiry into impeachment in the hopes that that would give some additional legal leverage to the House investigators. And that may be a, a, a route that Democrats take uh, going forward. Republicans will certainly respond by saying, hey, look, they're impeaching the president. They're not working uh, on the issues that, that you care about back home. I mean, this is obviously the argument that um, that that Nancy Pelosi has had and may have has may have she's ridiculous on this i'm sorry she's just ridiculous and she may has resolved it but let me get your sense of this i mean because it also seems to me that everything that nancy pelosi is worried about right uh in terms of what impeachment would bring is happening already already. exactly 
Oh, we're going to divide the country. Hello, have you looked around? It was divided before Trump came to office when the Republicans blocked everything Obama did. And it's been very divided since Trump came to office when you have a people walking into synagogues and massacring people and using the same rhetoric as the president and his party about, you know, white replacement and left bringing immigrants in to change the country. So, you know, this idea that it's, you know, oh, we're going to divide things further. It's just not worth it. I think she was the phrase she used a couple of months ago in a Washington Post. I mean, did you see the stuff she said yesterday, Sam? She said that she wants Trump's family and staff to stage an intervention for the good of the country. I don't think I've heard a Democrat say anything more ridiculous since Donald Trump came to office. We're now supposed to expect that Mike Pence, Ben Carson, Melania and Baron Trump are going to save us. <laughs> They're going to save the republic. This is, this is dereliction of duty. This is political malpractice. This is madness from Pelosi. I'm sorry. It just is. I mean, I, I, I don't. I don't buy her 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 public calling saying that it that it's going to lead to polarization. I think she just thinks that this is going to be that impeachment would be a distraction that it's going to make the Democrats look bad and it's going to mobilize the Republican base, but the mobile the Republican base is already mobilized. They are oh, yeah, exactly. They're already mobilized exactly. and everything that has gone on this week is a perfect example of Donald Trump not needing impeachment in any way. To create yep. the spe- the very spectacle that uh, Pelosi is yep. worried about, except for there is no counterbalance. All we all we saw this week was that uh, that that exactly. that presentation where you know he had the uh, the courtiers uh, walk up and say how yeah. how sweet he is, uh, but there is no across the the, the su- there's no there's you're, no you're, hearings. You're spot on, and this is the problem. The problem is the problem is not only kind of Nancy Pelosi's misreading of the situation. Uh, she actually said, she also tweeted yesterday. Can I just read out this tweet she said Please. yesterday? It's, it's an astonishing tweet. She said, when the extremely stable genius, referring to Trump's comment about himself, starts acting more presidential, I'll be happy to work with him on infrastructure, trade, and other issues. First of all, happy to work with him is a horrible phrase to use in relation to a white nationalist in the White House. But this idea that when he starts acting more presidential, she knows he's not going to act more presidential. We know that he's not going to act more presidential. We know that she knows that he's not going to act more presidential. So what is this charade for? Is it just for the D.C. Beltway press? What, who is she performing for? This whole thing is a waste of time. As you say, in that vacuum, Trump is doing his own counterpunching. He sent off Bill Barr now to go after the Democrats and the Democrats still won't do anything to defend themselves. You know, the old, the old line about, you know, the Republicans bring a, uh, the Democrats bring a knife to a gunfight and the Republicans bring a rocket launcher. They're sending Bill Barr with the attorney general now to investigate the investigators. They've given, Trump has given him power over the intelligence agencies. Um, Corey Lewandowski was on Fox business last night saying that by March or April, they plan to have Comey and Strzok and McCabe on trial. Trump, in fact, said yesterday when he was asked about treason, when an NBC reporter asked Trump, you know that treason requires the death penalty, who are you referring to? He just smiled, he nodded and said, yeah, I'm referring to Comey and McCabe. And he's talking about executing the former head of the FBI. And yet Democrats are still around arguing with each other in some weird circular firing squad, arguing with each other in private caucus meetings, whether it's not time or not to impeach. I just I just want to it's madness. Seriously, I have no other word for it but madness. Uh, Do you think uh, that um, that Pelosi's language has changed at all this week? I mean, my sense is, is that when she said about the cover up, what we were watching and maybe I'm giving her too much credit. Maybe this is just sort of like, um, you know, um, uh, maybe this is more, you know, aspirational on, on my part yeah. as well. But my sense is, is that like she's got to move to plan B. Plan A was we're not going to impeach. We're just going to yeah. um, we're going to show people that we're hard at work trying to make a uh, infrastructure yes. bill. And the Chuck Schumer has a bipartisan bill to to buffer the do not call registry and that's what american people want from us and he wants to make he wants to make seats on airplanes bigger that's one of his big priorities i mean i think there's i think those are valid things to be working on they are they they should not be existential threat to democracy yes exactly they should not be your top line at this point but do you think that she's like having a uh trying to do a sort of a public pivot that starts with like there's a cover up and I want there to be an in- intervention and yeah. apparently they're not going to start there like it's it feels to me it's, like she has um she realizes she lost that battle in the uh democratic caucus and now she has to make it public if only to um to say to those members in purple districts cuz it seems to me that's what she's trying to protect is her 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 purple uh district members look yeah. I did my best um, and so, you know, you still gotta, you gotta stick with me. I did my best, that type of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I wish I could agree with that, but um, I'm not sure I do buy that, to be honest. I mean, I wrote a piece back in November, straight after the midterms, and I said she was the wrong leader. Her and Schumer are the wrong leaders for the wrong time. You know, their job is to fight fascism, and they're looking for, com- quote, common ground was the phrase Pelosi used. I said, you can't find common ground with Trump. You know, let's forget all this bullshit about infrastructure week. Um, in the intervening months, there were moments where I thought, okay, maybe I was wrong about it. Maybe, she, she, maybe, she, maybe she's got a plan. And, you know, right. but Occam's razor tells you go for that simple answer. The simple answer is she doesn't want to impeach him. She's made that. How many times is she going to tell us that she doesn't want to impeach him before we believe her? Right. We, we kind of treating her the same way we treat Trump, which is actually there's a secret plan. And all of the reporting that I've seen this week suggests that in private, she's just as adamantly opposed to impeachment as she is in public. It's not as if in private she's telling her people, hold on, I've got a plan. I've got a cunning plan, Baldrick style from Blackadder. I've got a cunning plan <laughs> to win this. No, she doesn't. I think she genuinely thinks, you know, this is what our strategy is to protect the purple seats. We're hard at work. And by the way, on the whole hard at work, this nonsense idea, remember the main argument that Democrats use, they tell me we can't impeach because we don't have a majority in the Senate. We can't get it through. So we should focus on other things. Hold on. How do you get the other things through the Senate then? There's a, I think there's 100 bills right. or something absurd, high number of things that they've passed since November, all languishing in the Senate. So even that argument makes no sense, that it's a distraction. We could be getting on with important work, important work that doesn't pass in the Senate anyways. Right. That's a great point. And, and, I, and I still contend that, um, that, that Pelosi ultimately has to say, we're going to impeach. We know uh, the Senate is uh, unlikely to uh, break from Donald Trump because there isn't a Justin Amash amongst them or something like that. I mean, there's plenty of ways rhetorically to do But that could actually help it. you. I mean, if you want to get into yeah, exactly. it, you could actually make a, you could make a political argument that if the House makes a good enough case for impeachment, passes impeachment, the polls shift as they did during the Nixon era. They started off anti, then switched pro after the House Judiciary Committee wrote articles of impeachment. If the House impeaches him and public opinion shifts, then yeah, the Senate Republicans are on the defensive going into 2020. Absolutely. That's just a fact. Absolutely. You I, asked I, Susan Collins, why, why are you not impeaching him? In these dark times, there aren't a whole lot of unambiguously positive things you can do to make the world a measurably better place, but there is at least one piece of low-hanging fruit that I always recommend. To help with our shift to a renewable energy future, we can sign up for renewable energy in our homes and offices. Depending on where you live, renewable energy may even be cheaper than the old fossil fuel sources, and of course, you only have to sign up once and reap the rewards effortlessly, indefinitely. If you live or work in New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, D.C., Delaware, Illinois, Massachusetts, or Ohio, you can sign up with the clean energy company I've partnered with, Clean Choice Energy. To sign up and support the show by letting them know that I sent you, just visit cleanchoiceenergy.com slash best. You can easily find that link right in the show notes on the device you're using to listen right now, or you'll find it on the sidebar of the homepage at bestofleft.com. It'll make you feel good every time you see your electricity bill, so don't wait. There's nothing stopping you from signing up to use renewable energy right now, and it's easier than you think. Again, visit cleanchoiceenergy.com slash best to get started. When it comes to energy, now you have a choice. The mistake that Nancy Pelosi might be making that somehow impeachment might hurt the Democrats or more importantly, it seems to me that the net of not impeaching won't hurt the Democrats, because I actually think there's a bigger price to pay for Democrats if they don't impeach, uh, you know, with the assumption that it's not going to go anywhere. I've been saying for a while that I think Nancy Pelosi should get out there and say, um, look, we're going to impeach because part of our responsibility is to hold the president to account. But we know that he's going to still be in office come November 2020, because the Republicans will do nothing. They don't believe in good government. They don't believe uh, in holding the president to account. They are just partisan hacks who put their party above uh, the presidency. And one of the things she can cite, if she does this in my hypothetical, is Justin Amash, who really puts lie to the notion. And he doesn't make this bipartisan because this is one of the one of my like um, pet peeves when one uh, member of another party steps up and says, I'll vote with the other party that it's in some way a bipartisan thing. It's not bipartisan. Mm -hmm. But what it is, 
is it's no longer just partisan. It's somewhere in between. It signals to the voters of the Republican Party who could just say all the impeachment stuff, that's just partisanship. It now looks like it's not just partisanship because definitionally, if someone from the Republican Party can uh, agree with this, it's necessarily not partisan. It's not bipartisan. It's just a partisan on some level. And I think Nancy Pelosi, with a combination, and we should talk more about Carson and Mnuchin in a moment, but a combination of Mnuchin's performance and Carson's performance this week and the revelations from the IRS and with Justin Amash, and I know you've written about Justin Amash, so we can talk more about this. I think she's about, I think she is feeling the pressure. And this week on Wednesday, she said before going in with Donald Trump, that Donald Trump is covering stuff up and we know it. And I think that she is starting to basically go to plan B, which is if she can't avoid uh, impeachment, then her conversion to signing on to impeachment is going to be very public, very deliberate, very slow. And it's going to start with her saying, like, there's a cover up. And I, I think that's I think that's what we're starting to see. I agree with you. I mean, something did shift this this past week, and some of it had to do with, I mean, I think that when, when Trump instructed Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, who was a pivotal character in the Mueller report, uh, that he was not to uh, testify. Uh, and of course, McGahn, you know, being him, he's a, he's a Republican hack, too, although apparently he didn't really feel like obstructing justice. Um, so he did. Uh, well, he also truthfully. knows. He's a hack, but he also knows the law, and he's saying he's had a right. lot of clients who have gone to prison, frankly. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, so he didn't feel like, you know, committing perjury on behalf of Donald Trump, but he's, you know, obviously looking for any way out of having to go public with this, and he went along with it. He doesn't have to. I mean, people, just because the White House claims executive privilege, he's not an employee of the White House, and he could um, go out and, and testify. There's nothing that Trump could do about that. Um, but, of course, you know, he, he didn't do that. But nonetheless, that seems to have sort of broken the logjam among the members of the Judiciary Committee, uh, including Jerry Nadler, the chairman. And they had a big meeting this week and uh, confronted uh, Nancy Pelosi and said, look, it's time. And she put them off and said, you know, now wait, whatever. But that seems to have been a moment. You started to see people like uh, Representative Cicilline on TV and certain other ones who have not up to now said they were in favor of impeachment coming forward. Right. And that's on the heel of some presidential candidates who've done so too. Both Warren and Harris came out early. O'Rourke came out with a very strong statement um, in favor of impeachment. And others are sort of saying, well, I'm leaving it up to the Congress, you know, but they're, they're not ruling it out. So, you know, there has been pressure coming. And of course, you know, people like you and me and anybody who's got, a, you know, a platform has been screaming <laughs> at, at Nancy Pelosi and the activist base of the party has been making its wishes known. So, you know, the, the pressure is coming on her. And at the same time, I think that Trump's behavior, which, you know, maybe it's this bluff, this game of chicken that he's playing, maybe he thinks he wants impeachment, or maybe this is just his way of buying time and trying to keep from having to face, you know, the music here. Um, but whatever it is, you know, his behavior has pushed it too. instead of doing the smart thing and continuing to sort of pretend like he's a president and having meetings and being, you know, being, uh, you know, decent and, and hospitable to the to the Congress and kind of saying, well, we really need, you know, need to work this through the courts and we need to, you know, do this. They're not doing that. They're just basically saying no to everything. And, and, and William Barr is out there giving interviews to Fox News and sounding like, a, you know, the worst kind of Trump toady and sycophant. So, you know, it's coming, pressure is coming from that side as well. And as a result, Pelosi has clearly moved off the dime. I don't think there's any doubt. When she said it was a cover-up, you know, that, that's a very evocative phrase that yeah. goes right to, to Watergate 
and, you know, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. You know, I mean, but that's, it's a cliche. It's something everybody in the country understands. Using those words was deliberate. Um, and it just, it, it was a, a way of signaling that she has moved off of her position, which is, you know, has been fatuous, to be honest. This idea, nobody wants to hear about it. We just want to talk about kitchen table issues. That just isn't going to fly. And, you know, maybe I'm not giving her enough credit for, you know, strategically doing this and thinking the whole thing through and thinking that she's just been pushed into it, but I do know that, that it's important that people push on these things because I don't think her position was tenable. Um, and maybe she was saying, you know, make me do it, you know, the old FDR thing. I don't know. But whatever it is, it does seem to be happening. And I think, I don't know how long it will take. Uh, and I don't know what the, the, the catalyst for, for, you know, just basically, you know, flipping the switch on impeachment. But it, we're closer this week than we were the week before. I think that's pretty yeah. obvious. This is about the moral authority of the House to move forward. This is about the moral imperative. We hear people saying you can lose the soul of the country if you don't handle this appropriately. Well, before we lose the soul of the country, the members of the House will have lost the soul of the House of Representatives. This is about us, 435 members of the House, who have been given this special place in history. This is about the framers of the Constitution who designed Article 2, Section 4 for a time such as this and a president such as Trump. Uh, Congressman, I want to turn to a resurfaced clip of a of a President Trump ally, Senator Lindsey Graham. In 1999, the then Congressman Graham argued for the impeachment of President Bill Clinton for seeking to hide evidence of his affair with White House intern Monica Lewinsky. This is what he said. You don't even have to be convicted of a crime to lose your job in this constitutional republic. If this body determines that your conduct as a public official is clearly out of bounds in your role, because impeachment is not about punishment. Impeachment is about cleansing the office. Impeachment is about restoring honor and integrity to the office. That was uh, Lindsey Graham back in 1999. Uh, your reaction? Well, he was eminently correct then, and his words are as sound and as uh, eminently powerful now as they were then. Uh, it is not about committing a crime. No president has to commit a crime to be impeached. If you read Federalist 65, not many people have, but if you do read it, you'll find that Hamilton, uh, Jay, and uh, Madison concluded that a president who does harm to society can be impeached. And they also went so far as to say that don't expect there to be harmony uh, between the parties, that Democrats and Republicans are probably going to square off against each other. This is not going to be something that's a walk in the park, but it's a duty that we have taken on when we swore to uphold the Constitution. When we took that oath of office, this was one of the things that we said we would do uh, when we have a ruthless, reckless president. So it's about us now. It's really about us. It's always about the president and about his uh, behavior. But it's about us in terms of what we will do. This is our moment. Either we will honor ourselves in history or a good many reputations are going to be tarnished when people who do these things by way of uh, recording history, when they look through the vista of time and they see how we engaged in what Dr. King called the paralysis of analysis, how we did one thing after another to delay so that we could eventually get to an election day wherein we would then defeat him as opposed to impeach him. This is really not about defeating the president next year. It's about impeaching the president who's done the harm this year. But and we cannot delay. Congressmember Green, it seems like Trump welcomes an inquiry into impeachment that, to begin. And I'm wondering if you can talk about his point of view, thinking that it could serve him. Of course, the Senate is run by Republicans where the trial would be. Um, and just like with the Mueller report that you're holding as you speak to us, um, ultimately it found him, it, it exonerated him of collusion. 
not corruption, which is a whole other issue, which are the, some of the questions that are being raised in the House right now through all of these, this questioning. But the idea that it would once again make President Trump look like the victim. If you could respond to perhaps you're playing right into his hands and then not moving forward with an agenda of getting the Green New Deal passed, getting Medicare for all, getting uh, what so many new Congress members have been pushing for and saying they want a whole new, you know, set, a whole new deal uh, in every way, foreign and domestic. Well, thank you very much. And I really appreciate this question. I I'm the kind of guy who wants the tough questions. I want to deal forthrightly with the issues. And you've put me in a position where I can do it. First point, the president doesn't want to be impeached. This is called reverse psychology. This is the kind of psychology that says, oh, go ahead and do that. That's really what I want when he's bluffing. He does not want this on his record. Bigots, uh, people who want to be autocrats, would-be dictators want to be loved. That is why he has his cabinet members to praise him at cabinet meetings and talk about how great he is. Thank God for uh, the uh, defense secretary, Manis, who refused to do it. He talked about the troops, not about the greatness of the president. With reference to those who would say, listen, we've got to work with him and love him and, and make sure that we can get our agenda over so that he can veto it, please, the president is not going to sign a Green New Deal. The Senate is not going to support a Green New Deal. People who would say, let's send a, a new deal over to the Senate. I, and by the way, I think the people are practical and they're not thinking that the president is going to sign it. And they're not thinking that the, how the Senate is going to approve it. I, I don't think they believe that. I think they are as I am. They understand that we do our job. I think this makes the case for impeachment because we will do our job when it comes to passing legislation that we know the president's not going to support and the Senate won't sign off on. But we'll send it to them and say, do your job. This is what we have to do. Give the Senate an opportunity to act. With reference to the trial in the Senate, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court presides. He makes rulings and he does them in a transparent fashion before the world. We will have an opportunity to see the request for subpoenas and the ruling of John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has no role in this process. It is an inferior court to the Senate when it comes to impeachment. All of the courts are inferior. This is where impeachment takes place. The trial of impeachment takes place. The, the impeachment itself takes place in the House, but the trial takes place in the Senate. And this is where you see the witnesses testify. The president himself can be called as a witness uh, before the Senate to give his testimony. This is not uh, just another trial wherein Mr. Uh, McConnell will have his way and the Senate can dominate. This is presided over by the Chief Justice of the United States of America and the American people are in a position to see. Finally this, if this Senate decides they are not going to impeach, if they decide that they're not going to, excuse me, convict, they're not going to find that the president has committed the impeachable acts alleged. If the Senate concludes this, then we'll know which senators we ought to review and we'll know what to do. And that will uh, energize people to say, you know what, uh, maybe we need some new senators over there in the Senate. And if we don't impeach, here's what the president will say. He will say that the Democrats had the House by overwhelming numbers. He will say that they did not impeach me. He will say by their inaction, I have been vindicated. I have been exonerated. Mr. Mueller did not exonerate him. Why would the House of Representatives exonerate him? And he will say, by virtue of this, you ought to elect me, meaning him, President Trump, president again. And let me share this with you. He will make a powerful argument that we were complicit, in a sense, in his actions by not having our action in the House of Representatives. The polls show that Americans don't want to impeach the president. Even support for impeachment amongst Democratic voters is down in the wake of the Mueller report, which Attorney General Bill Barr and the Republicans have spun as clearing Donald Trump of any crimes. No collusion, no obstruction. First off, that's a lie. It's impossible to read the 448 pages of the Mueller report and come to any other conclusion than that the President of the United States repeatedly, brazenly, unashamedly obstructed justice, which is both a crime and an impeachable offence. 
And don't take my word for it. Listen to conservative law professor J.W. Verrett, who served on the Trump transition team and now supports impeachment. For me, it's it's the principal obstruction issues that Mueller highlights. Depending on how you count, 10 to 12 separate counts of potential obstruction of justice. Impeachment is the start of the process. It's not the end. I think most of us think generally impeachment. Now that means a finding that you're no longer president. No, no, no. It's the beginning of a process. It's like a grand jury investigation. That's the best analogy. And there's more than enough here. This is the most extensive grand jury referral I've ever seen. As for the polling, yeah, Americans don't support impeachment now. So make the case. Hold the hearings. Show them the evidence. They didn't support impeaching Nixon either, right up until after the House Judiciary Committee published articles of impeachment, the first of which, by the way, centred on obstruction of justice. I'm always reminded of the famous West Wing scene in which pollster Joey Lucas explains the importance of leading public opinion, shaping public opinion, to White House Deputy Chief of Staff Josh Lyman. You say that these numbers mean dial it down. I say they mean dial it up. You haven't gotten through. There are people you haven't persuaded yet. These numbers mean dial it up. Otherwise, you're like the French radical watching a crowd run by and saying, there go my people. I must find out where they're going so I can lead them. Of course, Democratic Party leaders in Congress don't like leading. They like following. They like compromising. They like rolling over. I'm sorry, they do. They think the impeachment of Bill Clinton in the late 1990s hurt the Republican Party, even though the Republicans won the White House, the year after they tried and failed to remove Clinton from office. On impeachment, remember, Democratic Party leaders also told us to wait for the Mueller report, even though, as you've all heard me point out on this show before, you don't even need Mueller or Russia to make the case for impeachment. Trump does impeachable things on a near-weekly basis. You can impeach him for trying to illegally divert emergency relief funds from Puerto Rico to Texas and Louisiana or for making illegal hush money payments to a porn star who he slept with, or for trying to use the federal government to settle personal scores with private businesses like Amazon, or for tax fraud, or for trying to make money out of the presidency. You could impeach him just for bringing the office of the presidency into deep, deep disrepute. To quote Republican Senator Lindsey Graham during the Clinton impeachment proceedings, Impeachment is not about punishment. Impeachment is about cleansing the office. Impeachment is about restoring honor and integrity to the office. If you don't impeach Trump, how do you hold him to account? What kind of precedent do you set for future presidents? Or even this president? How do you stop him from continuing to run roughshod over the Constitution? From continuing to break all the rules? From continuing to normalize both corruption and lawlessness, both cruelty and bigotry? Yeah, you can try and beat him at the ballot box in 2020, but the founders put impeachment in the Constitution for a reason. So look, from my perspective, it's pretty straightforward. If not Trump, who? If not now, when? We've just heard clips today starting with On the Media on learning the wrong lessons from the Clinton impeachment. Deconstructed spoke with Tom Steyer about a few of the arguments against impeachment. The Majority Report discussed the Republican congressman now calling for impeachment and the political cost of not impeaching that Democrats seem to not be considering. Pret on Stay Tuned laid out his reasoning why beginning impeachment proceedings is the only thing we know with certainty should be done. The Brian Lehrer Show discussed the range of Democrats facing the question of supporting or opposing impeachment. The Majority Report discussed Nancy Pelosi's stance on impeachment, followed by Ring of Fire also discussing what we're seeing and hearing from Pelosi and whether or not it's sort of a calculated slow pivot toward impeachment. Democracy Now! spoke with Congressman Al Green and heard his call for impeachment as a moral imperative to preserve the soul of Congress. And finally, we just heard Deconstructed making one last case for impeachment. Members this week will be hearing a couple more clips on the history of impeachment and more on the movement within the Democratic Party toward impeachment. 
To hear that and all of our bonus content, sign up as a patron of the show at patreon.com slash bestofleft. And now we'll hear from you. Hey, Jay, it's Alan from Connecticut calling in regarding your Trump impeachment pre-questions before an episode. Cool idea. Um, This is a mixed bag. I have, uh, this is actually the fourth or fifth time trying to put my feelings and thoughts down on a usable format. So, you know, the cut of the chase is if you impeach Trump and remove him from out of office, you're left left with Pence. Um, I think there's a lot of people that feel like, you know, Trump is a clown and, um, and, and we need to get him out. And I think there would be less of a feeling with Pence. I think he is more of a party line Republican that would have more respect from people that share those beliefs. Um, so I think there's some danger in, in removing him. Um, but sending a message, uh, that, you know, he's not okay. And, and criminal concerns, um, you know, I think is okay too. Um, you know, here's the bottom line is, is impeaching him going to improve any chances and, and in what way of having a democratic candidate be reelected? So, you know, if someone could say, well, if we just impeach Trump, then for sure there's a shoe in, which obviously you can't, then, then hell yeah. Why, why wouldn't we? Um, but you know, we've got to be careful that actions taken don't, uh, become more risky and more jeopardize, uh, the overall outcome. Um, you know, back in 2016, we knew we were stuck and sunk for four years um, and and have not done a great job in shoring up a uh, replacement candidate. And I think um, right now it might even be more dangerous to to take risky actions um, than than it was before. So that's my uneducated uh, initial thoughts um, and look forward to the episode. So. Thanks. Hey, Jay, it's Alan from Connecticut calling in regarding your 1277 abortion podcast piece. Two things. One is just, I wanted to just say, I I took out the call to action. I haven't heard anybody saying anything about call to action. So I want to let you know that I've done using the Stance mobile app that you suggested a while ago. Two representatives, one senator, boom, done. So easy. It's so easy to make those phone calls. So thank you for that advice years ago. I've been doing it ever since. The second thing is, is you know, I draw a lot of parallels, and I'm going to step away from this being a women's rights issue, but the people that are saying, you know, going to fight abortion to save lives, but they don't look at the bigger picture of, you know, these are people that are also standing up for the planet or standing up for, you know, saving, you know, clean water, which saves millions of lives as well. They're very focused on on women's issues, but not the life in general and overall. And I think that's a good talking point to if you're arguing with someone about about that aspect of it, you know, where are they standing up for lives overall? So give women back their rights to their bodies and let's start saving lives and saving the planet overall. Anyway, that's my two thoughts. Stay awesome. Hi, Jay. Thanks for the show on reproductive rights. Um, This is Dylan in Toronto. And I've just got a quick idea of how people can support the the movement uh, to protect reproductive rights. Please join me in grabbing some coat hangers from your closet uh, keep them with you in your backpack or your bicycle or your car, and just uh, put them on a stop sign. Uh, I find that usually you can hang them on a stop sign quite easily. Um, some stop signs you have to use a little bit of tape to attach them, but just hang a coat hanger on a stop sign as a reminder of our presence all over the country, and um, indeed perhaps even around the world, as I am here in Toronto, Canada, putting those uh, coat hangers on a stop sign is a is an elegant way to remind people of our presence and of our commitment and our enduring commitment 
to uh, fight for reproductive freedoms and to never go back. Uh, Thanks so much for the show, guys, and uh, see you again soon. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to our production assistant, Joel McKean, and the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, you can simply record a message at 202-999-3991. And now, uh, apropos of everything we've been talking about today, since... I'm obviously uh, putting my cards on the table as to where I fall on the impeachment question. I just want to mention that moveon.org is organizing a national day of action on Saturday, June 15th, titled Impeach Trump Act to Defend Democracy. And there are already 80 events planned as of this recording in cities and towns across the country, and more are still being added. Move On describes the rallies as visible, family-friendly public gatherings to demonstrate to our representatives that impeachment is the will of the people. To find an impeach Trump rally near you or to create one, go to moveon.org and click events. There you'll find a searchable map of rallies, materials for organizers and attendees, FAQs, etc. Once again, the Impeach Trump Act to Defend Democracy rallies are happening on Saturday, June 15th. And now, since... I don't have too much to add to today's topic. I sort of laid it all out in in the clips today. I I wanted to lay out questions for you in this way. Uh, My thinking, and I could be wrong, but my thinking is that you fall into one of three categories. You either already agree that we should have impeachment proceedings, and so today's episode didn't change your mind, or you used to oppose impeachment, but today's episode did change your mind. Or thirdly, you opposed impeachment before today's episode, then you listened to today's episode, and you didn't change your mind. And so my question is, if you changed your mind, I would love to know why. Like, what was it that actually made you change? Was it one thing? Was it a bunch of things? Was it just everything together? I would love to know uh, your thoughts on that. And if after today's episode, you still oppose impeachment, I would love to know why. Just what argument is it that resonates the most with you that makes you either have that opinion or continue to have that opinion or whatever? I, I'm just fascinated to know what arguments on either side of this debate and question resonate the most with people. And, and then I guess lastly, if you somehow don't fit into any of those categories, then definitely please call in and tell me why. I mean, I guess maybe the other category would be you used to think we should impeach and then you listen to today's episode and you no longer think that. I'd be pretty surprised if that was the case, but I suppose that could exist. And if there's some fifth category that I can't even uh, think of, or if you just exist uh, completely outside the realm of this question, but you have thoughts on it, I would like to hear that too. So, as always, keep the comments coming in at 202-999-3991. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making donations of any size at patreon.com slash bestofleft. That is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving us glowing reviews on Apple Podcasts and Facebook to help others find the show. For details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog and likely right on the device you're using to listen so coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of washington dc my name is jay and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you every tuesday and friday thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com mm-hmm.